Are you creative? That's a rhetorical question, because of course you are. A creative is anyone who makes something from nothing. Creativity is everywhere and in everyone. And that means you. So what's been stopping your inner creative from bursting out? Probably fear. Fear is part of creating something. It's a real bee. But don't worry, we'll help you get through that. This podcast will be your guide to claim your creativity, redefine your relationship with fear, and build a new life centered around creative expression. You're going to learn tools from people who have found ways to manage life's ups and downs by turning their experience into purpose. Think of this podcast as your very own creative community. This is Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. Hello, it's Lauren here with another creative check-in. And this week I really struggled with what to do because I'm struggling. I found out that my grandma is going on hospice. My grandma has been battling this disease called multiple system atrophy since 2007. It's a terrible disease. You can look it up. It basically mimics the symptoms of Parkinson's disease, but also affects your autonomic system. And she was on hospice a while back. She graduated from it. Now she's back on it again. And they've recently given her a week to live. And this is when it's so hard living away from home. I just want more than anything to just be able to be there with my mom and my grandma and the rest of my family. It just sucks. It honestly does. It breaks your heart. Usually when I'm in a situation like this and I'm dealing with something painful, I just keep pushing myself to work through it, literally work through it. And, you know, I'm Obviously, I'm still working. I'm getting my job done, but I'm just trying to be kind to myself in the midst of this because sometimes we just need to do that. Sometimes the answer isn't just beating yourself up and being like, okay, well, just keep working or don't think about it. You know, like sometimes you need to think about it and feel what you feel. Or if you can't think about it, then let yourself watch an episode of Pen 15 on Hulu, which is really great, by the way. You should check it out. It's funny. I guess my check-in is I'm feeling a little down, obviously, with the circumstances, but I am trying to honor the way I'm feeling instead of fighting it and pushing through. The other thing I'm doing is really thinking about my grandma and everything that she's done. You know, my grandma had a really, really tough childhood. She had to leave home at 16 because it wasn't safe for her. She started her own beauty shop when she was only a teenager and moved to America a couple years later and started a new life. I'm forever grateful to my grandmother for her bravery and what she has done to set up a trajectory where my mom, when she was in her early 20s, moved to New York and was a flight attendant and had this amazing, courageous life and did different things than Italian Catholic girls were doing back then. And I was able to move across the country to be in LA and pursue my dreams. I really trace the lineage back to my grandma who had this incredible bravery and made a hard choice to take care of herself and pursue a different, better life. So if you're in any sort of trauma or pain right now, 
I highly recommend you let yourself feel what you're feeling and take care of yourself. And I don't know, I guess the other thing I'm like working through right now is I have all these commitments to my work, you know, my producing job. I'm supposed to be recording my album this weekend. And it's like, but if, if I can't go home and be with my family, like what is this all for? You know, the creativity doesn't mean anything if you can't be with the people you love and share it with the people you love. Like Kevin said last week, that comes first. So I'm trying to figure out what to do. I know this is a heavy one, but to anyone out there who's going through this, I feel for you. Just be kind to yourself while experiencing it and let yourself feel and honor the person and look at how they've affected your life. Look at the positive aspects. Maybe make something creative for them. I really want to write a song for my grandma chronicling her story and how she set up this amazing foundation for the future women in our family to make brave choices. That's where I'm at today. Stay tuned for the guest and I'll keep you updated on what's going on. I appreciate you. Thank you for letting me be so honest. My guest today is a teacher, jewelry maker, poet, writer, collage artist, and the person outside of my parents who has most profoundly changed my life. He's best known for the innumerable positive ripple effects his teaching has had throughout the years. His name is Rand Swansea. Up until the end of this year, he was a third grade teacher at my alma mater, Richard Elementary, in Gross Point, Michigan. And I assure you, if I had never met him, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast today. I came into his classroom after having had two teachers who decimated my self-esteem and instilled a genuine belief in me that I was not intelligent. He saved me with his faith in my then hurting creative soul. He saw my light, and through his support, I was able to bring it out. He taught me I could work hard to be smart, and that it was safe to be my full self. These simple, profound truths have been the foundation for so much of my life and creative journey. When you first came to me, I saw a timid, believe it or not, scared little girl. But your creativity, your underneath that, I saw this big personality. So I wanted to have Mr. Swansea on to share how he did that and how you too can do it for an underdog in your life, or even for yourself. On top of that, Mr. Swansea has had quite the creative journey. Growing up in a toxically masculine culture as a closeted gay man, feeling the need to suppress his deep desire to teach in order to fit in, until finally stepping into the full expression of the creative teacher he was and is. Literally the first day I was given control of a classroom, I felt like I had come home. And a big part of that was the creative awakening in me. Also, a note that I'll call him Mr. Swansea throughout. I may be 30, but he's still my teacher, and to me, his first name will always be Mr. and last name Swansea. From our conversation, you'll learn how to spot and help the underdog, find your own voice, release others' negative opinions of you, find the courage to pursue your soul's work, do self-therapy, recover after a big loss, and run out of Fs to give. In a good way. <laughs> now here he is, Mr. Rand Swansea. So, Mr. Swansea, I wanted to have you here because I think it's really important to talk about 
teaching and how creative teaching can be, and also the impact that you can have on someone's life. And you might not even know it until years later. This is and, true. And how you can do it if you see someone out there who's struggling. But I want to start with you and with little Rand first. <laughs> oh, no. So what did you want to be growing up? You know what? When I was really young, being something never occurred to me. But I will say this, that from a very young age, I've always been creative. And I think that led me into teaching eventually. It wasn't until I was uh, in high school. I used to tutor children in one of my old elementary schools when I was a senior. And that's when I first wanted to be a teacher. But back in the 70s, yeah, I'm aging myself. <laughs> back in the 70s, there were, there were no jobs. There was um, no money in teaching. You know, it was basically a female-oriented wife kind of profession. They hadn't earned the respect that we have or had, I should say, now. So I didn't go into it. And instead, I got a communications degree and ended up moving to New York and worked in an advertising agency for a while and then ultimately in publishing. And it was working in children's publishing that made me want to teach again. And so after a couple of years there, I moved back to Michigan got my teaching degree, and the rest is history. So there's a few things from that story that I'd love to break down. One is that you felt like an outsider because you wanted to do something that wasn't necessarily lauded in public society. This is true, and, and that aspect of it. You yeah. know, it wasn't a thing men went into. Right, and then you had an additional pressure on you because I don't know if you were in, in touch with this at the time because you are gay and a member of the LGBTQ right. community, and so that was also an additional pressure especially back then that you were dealing with. In 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 that respect, I, I wasn't accepting at mm -hmm. that time, but I always knew. Mm -hmm. And so I always knew I was going to have one income. Mm -hmm. And so it better be a good one. Right. So how did you deal with those pressures of feeling like an outsider and being at war with yourself? And what would be your advice for someone else who's in a similar position on their creative journey? When you're gay and not self-accepting, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure on you put on yourself to be what you're not. And it puts a lot of roadblocks in your way. I think the greatest advice I can give anyone out there who's struggling with any issue in their life is uh, it's exactly what I tell or told now that I'm retired, my third graders, you know, whenever something negative would happen and experience with a child, you know, I would bring them all in and I would say, you know, consider the source. Consider the source of your negativity. Who is this person or who are these people in your life? Do they have any control over you? Are they important to you? If not, why do you care? It's very difficult when you're bombarded by negativity all the time, whether blatant or covert, whatever it is in your mind, you know, whether, whether you, you're dreaming it up, creating it, or whether it's real, it's very difficult to overcome that when you're looking outside yourself, when you're worried about other people and their vision of you. So the best thing I, best advice I can give is look inside yourself and how you're relating to those people. Don't give them that power if they don't have that power. You know, I tell the, I tell the children, when, when someone does something negative to you, you know, you look over at who they are and 
you say, are they important? If they're not, then, then you know, thank them, first of all, because they're basically complimenting you because they're telling you, I think you're better than me and I have to make you feel as bad about yourself as I do about me. Ooh. Because happy people do not try to make others feel miserable. Yeah. So it's, it is basically about the other people. And you can't give away what you don't have. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. That's a great thing for adults to remember because I think a lot of people say, oh, bullying so bad when you're younger. It doesn't go away. No, it certainly doesn't. Oh, they lurk and they linger in the wild. And that's exactly <laughs> what I tell my, my children, you know, when my students, when I'm dealing with these issues, I tell them, you need to get used to this now because as adults, you're going to face people who are negative in your life. It doesn't go away. So the other part of your story is that you went a long way out of the way in order to come back to the right place. Yeah. How did you finally get the bravery to say, you know what? Screw it. This is who I've always been. This is who I want to be. And I'm going toward teaching no matter what anyone else thinks of me. You know, it's funny. When I moved to New York at age 24, I had never been there, didn't know anybody. I just decided at one point I wanted to go there. Two weeks later, I had sold my car, sold my furniture, got rid of my townhouse, and I was in New York. Very brave. It that was. Is very in, brave. in retrospect, I, I look back, especially considering the upbringing I had, the disconnect with my father, and the lack of support. I didn't think it was at the time, but in looking back, and I've done a lot of looking back, I realized there was, there was an element of bravery in there. But, you know, bravery often comes out of desperation. And I think, I think I was desperate to become who I was, but didn't accept. So I was there for, for two years and almost one year after, to the date, after I moved there, I came home, I was working at Bantam Books at that time. I came home one day, closed the door to my apartment, leaned against the wall and just slid down in front of my bathroom and I sat on the floor and I started probably a two-month ritual of self-analyzation. I started looking back at everything that I felt negative about myself and traced where it came from. And after doing this for probably about two months, I realized that all of those insecurities I had were related to people outside of me and not me. I was a child. They were the adults. And once I got over that, it was, it was full force forward. I grew more in that last year I was in New York than I did in my entire life. And I finally felt ready to return to Michigan and be what I wanted to be. Wow. I remember you telling me that story and how profound it was and still is. When you grow up without that support, and maybe you even repress like you did, you know, I, I was so blessed that I had parents that have been Team Lauren from the time I was- You have been blessed. Even, I have been incredibly blessed. But I know there's so many, and it's still been hard for me. So I know there's so many people out there who haven't had that kind of support and are still going toward a creative life. Mm -hmm. What would be your advice for them on- how to overcome those voices in their head that are informing their life that aren't even theirs. How can they start doing that and having those slide down the wall moments? I would say start with exactly what I did. Pick one thing that you're uncomfortable with in your life, either um, outside of you or inside of you. 
uh, for me, it was I could never say no to people. I never had the strength to say no, even though I knew it was not what I wanted or it was not a positive situation for me. And that one trigger, that one trigger word no is what led me into that self-evaluation period. And I started realizing it wasn't just one thing that prevented me from from saying no or, or standing up for myself. And I started choosing one trigger, if you will, at a time and really digging deep and saying, where did that come from? Oh, that was from that experience with my father. And that's when I started realizing it's outside of me. It's not who I am. It's outside. It was an influence that I allowed inside me. And once you realize where it's coming from, where the, the negative influence is, it's, well, at least for me, it was relatively easy to just kind of let it blow away and move on to the next one. So start with something small inside yourself. And when those voices come now, because I think it's hard to fully ever get them out of your person. Absolutely. Do you say, not me, my dad, or, or do you call it out? How do you reconcile it in current day? modern day? That's a really good question because I think for me, it's become automatic. Mm. Um, I mean, you're on my Facebook list, so you see my posts, you know, <laughs> and in a sense, I don't, you know, I, I don't. You're out of F's to give. I, okay. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And I love you know? it. Well, seriously, yeah. and I am at, you know, at this age, I'm 60 now, um, but but it happened even before that. And I, I like to tell people, you know, I ran out of F's when I became an adult. Right. And and it wasn't when I was 18 or 21, you know, it was probably 26, 28. It just becomes automatic for me that 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 thought pattern that I have taught my students over the years is people outside me who don't have a connection to me don't matter. If you don't like it, move on. Mm-hmm. You know, and and working through being gay in a male, heterosexual, dominated society makes you a very strong person or not. You know, the consequences of not can be very dire. But I fortunately became a very strong individual. And it was through that process that I just told you, look outside. Those people mean nothing to me. You have no control over my emotional self. And I'm not going to hand it over to you. So move on. So once you did start teaching, what did it feel like? It was from the beginning, from the first internship I had in college in a second grade classroom, it was like like a rainbow covered. Oh. <laughs> Literally the first day I was given control of a classroom, I felt like I had come home. And a big part of that was the creative awakening in me. I've, I've always been creative. I was the, the child in the family who got the coloring books and the paint by numbers. And although I never finished one of those in my life, um, <laughs> that's the ADD in me. Yeah, you know, you know. get started and move on. Oh, look, there are pretty colors over here. So. <laughs> well, I think that's a creative in you too. But I love that idea of coming home. And I think for you listening, if you're struggling to find your purpose and you do something that feels like that, it's a really good indicator, whether it's a relationship or it's a career path that you're in the right place. Oh, there's definitely, I mean, you will know it when you, when you feel it. Yeah. When you feel it. 
And you always approach teaching so creatively. It's something I always go back to is when we learned our times tables. Obviously, I wasn't excited about that. It wasn't <laughs> thrilling to me. I liked it because it was more memorization-based than logic-based, so that was cool for me. But you did the coolest thing where you gave us baseball cards in a binder. And then we felt competitive with ourselves, not even against each other, but with ourselves to get those baseball cards. I'm glad you said that because that's that's always what I've done with, with children is try to instill an intrinsic motivation, not an extrinsic, which right. fits along with my whole philosophy of life. Forget what's going on outside of you. Mm -hmm. You know, Do it for yourself, not for someone else. Looking back on your teaching career, what do you think is one of the most creative ways you've approached the classroom? Hmm. Whoa. One way. One of. You can, you know, I know there's millions. All right. So one is I have gone out of my way to try to make things fun, make learning, make activities fun for children because, I mean, face it, they can't focus for more than 30 seconds anymore. It's goes so with, long. It, it is. Yeah. And we've we've come to a place in education where what we're expecting of children is developmentally inappropriate across the board. So too advanced. Oh yeah, it, it's beyond their their stages of cognitive development. I mean, what we're expecting them multiplication. They're supposed to master in third grade, but they're getting introduced to it in second grade. I don't remember multiplication when I was going to school until like fourth grade. I wow. think seriously, and then mastering that in division in fifth grade. So using art projects for academics. Having them do one thing that comes to mind is when in the beginning there, when I teach adjectives and adverbs, there's a, a, a tree form from, you know, the Ellis cutouts, you know, that I have them cut. And then I created, I actually drew leaves and multicolored leaves. And then they had to glue them onto branches and write a noun on the main branch and then adjectives on the so other leaves. So much fun. Well, and it's an autumn thing, you know, so I, I do a lot. Right. Because sentence trees were actually very brutal to my soul. Yeah. So the fact that you do it in such a creative way makes it fun, gives you a positive association with grammar. Well, and it creates mental images. I mean, a lot of uh, most people learn by visualization. Mm -hmm. We're all visual learners to a degree, but children at certain levels mostly learn visually. And so anytime you can create a picture that goes along with the concept, they're going to retain it. They're going to remember, or remember it more. So let's get to our relationship a little bit. Oh, I've been waiting for this. When I came to your classroom, I had had my self-confidence and self-esteem decimated by the yeah. teacher I had the year before. I felt like I was stupid. I felt isolated. By the way, the students I went to school with, I was so lucky to be in such a kind class. I always say I wasn't bullied by kids. I was bullied by adults. You you had a good group. That was I back had, when... I was so blessed. The, yeah, the kids were... I went to school with at Gross Point South and in elementary school, Richard, I mean, they were the best people. They're still some of my favorite people on earth. You, but, were, you were a group of fun yeah. Children. Fun and loving and, and we yes. helped each other. Yeah. But but there were some really bad teachers in there. Well, and not only the year before, yeah. but the one you were assigned to. Oh yeah. So I'm getting to, to that. I'm getting to that. Yeah. So I had this terrible teacher that made me feel dumb and humiliated me in front of the class all the time. And then I went to another teacher who was very gruff, aggressive, wasn't going to help me come out of my shell. So finally we realized something had to change. And my parents went to the principal, asked who they thought would be the best person for me to help me through a very challenging time. I mean, I, I was 
that's really when my anxiety developed. I would be so nervous before school. Like I would tell my mom I didn't feel good. And now I look back on it and I realize I just didn't want to go to school. Yeah, absolutely. I would take my Lanta all the time because I thought it was my stomach, but I was anxious as an eight-year-old. Yeah. So that's still one of the worst years of my life. But then I came into your class. That was second grade. I came into your class after getting – so like I don't think I'm telling this clearly. The second grade teacher was the one that made me really nervous and humiliated me in front of the class. Then third grade came around. I was with this other female teacher who was really gruff, aggressive, wasn't going to help me. And so then after about a month of third grade, yeah, it was very soon. we realized we had to switch to another teacher. And your name came up. I came into your class and you taught me – that I could work hard to be smart, that I was capable. You believed in me. And I didn't realize it that year. But when I trace the lines in my life, everything that I have in my life is because of you. Oh, I please. mean, my parents are amazing, but you changed the trajectory of my life and of me believing in myself. And so... I'm wondering, first of all, what did you think of me when I first came into the classroom? <laughs> and did you see the creativity in me? And then I want to get to how somebody else could see someone in an equally desperate situation and do for them what you did for me. When you first came to me, I saw a timid, believe it or not, scared little girl. But your creativity, your underneath that, I saw this big personality. You were... It, it didn't take you long to show that either. But, and, and I don't often give myself kudos, but I have always been for the underdog. To go off topic for just a second, uh, when I was working on my master's, I was the grad assistant in the early childhood and the special ed department. They shared me. And the special ed director on two different occasions pulled me aside and said, you need to change your major from early childhood to special ed. And I just said, you know what? I would burn out in a week because I would take their issues home with me. Mm -hmm. But she, even she recognized my my attraction to the underdogs. And so through the years, I have gotten a lot of underdogs from my colleagues because they know that I can deal with them. And, and I think that's why your, my name was given to your parents at that point, because the principal who hired me knew me. And knew my my success. So I saw you as an underdog because mainly I knew the teacher you were coming from. And, you know, I, I always tell people, just like there are bad doctors and bad lawyers and bad Indian chiefs, there are bad teachers. And she was one of them. So when your mom came to me and explained to me what had transpired on back to school night, I thought, okay, this little girl needs some TLC. She needs some attention, some positive attention. And so when you mentioned the creative aspect in the classroom, that's what I think got you to come out. I think you, very early on, you thought, you saw, this is going to be fun. You yeah. know, these are fun things we're doing on and, and, you know, working and working with partners in the classroom who were good kids. Yeah. You know, they weren't competitive that year. They weren't out for themselves. You know, they enjoyed helping others. So very soon after you came into the room, we would be out for recess and there would, you know, 
little girls always follow me around while I'm, you know, and they're hanging <laughs> oh, on Oh, we me. loved you. You were like our idol. <laughs> I was like the Pied Piper. But here's Lauren. She's like dancing and doing her model walk all over the sidewalks. And I'm going to be an actor. And, you know, even then, I mean, you, you wanted to do it. Yeah. <sighs> oh, Lauren. Oh, my God. I'm so proud of you, by the way. Just what you have achieved in your life. And when I look back at what you were when you came to me and what you've become, you know, I, you're one of, I think, three students. I mean, I had you in third grade. And yeah. You're, well, we won't talk about your age, but you're older now. I'm 30. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> and we've stayed in touch all this, all this time, you know. And you came to all my plays. You always support. You watch all my videos. I listen to you your listen podcast. You listen to my podcast. He's a supporter of the podcast. <laughs> Feel free to do that yourself. But I think that really what I, my takeaway from the whole situation is, it's like, that's why I say at the end of every episode, I believe in you. Because we really just all need someone to believe You're in us. Right. You're absolutely right. Everybody has capability. Everybody has something brilliant about them. But someone maybe has never reflected that back to them. But here, here's the, the, the caveat with that. It has to be someone important to you. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that kind of support. And, and, you know, I came from a, a loving family. It wasn't, you know, abusive or anything. It just was not, neither of my parents graduated high school. You know, that was the one rule for all five of us children. You will graduate high school and what you do after that is, is up to you. So I never had that, you know, congratulations or, you know, sense of encouragement, but I found it in myself. If you have someone in your life, like you, you truly are blessed with the parents you have. I love your parents. You know, they have done such a wonderful job with you from the time they pulled you out of that other class into my class. I knew they were doing it for you, not because, you know, face it, there are some parents who, you know, do things for image and, you know, for their own, you know, they wanted me to be happy and they wanted me to succeed. And, and they made the right decision. I mean, just to, to pull you out, but it, it must be someone who, who has value in your life that you look for support from. You, you don't have to have that. It's a lot easier if you do, but if you don't have those people who are supporting you, look inside yourself again, find that thing. Well, instead of looking for the negative, look for the positive in yourself and build on that. You know, it's very difficult for people in general, but if you've never had that support system, it's very difficult sometimes to see that positive aspect of yourself, but it's not impossible. We all have good in us. You just have to find it. So if there's someone out there like you, maybe they're not in a traditional teaching situation. They're just out in the world. They work with someone. It's a niece. It's a nephew. It's a friend. And they see someone who's struggling and who doesn't believe in themselves and they want to be that person. What's the first way they could reach out their arm and say, I got you? The first thing is is have that person, the one who's who's flailing, if you will, look at themselves and say, what is good about, what do you like about yourself? Or what are you happy with in your life at this moment? What is the one thing you can tell people I'm proud of, I'm happy with, um, and and start to build on that? Uh, perseverate on it. I mean, every day, get up and say, you know what? I'm a great friend. I'm always there 
for people. It may be, you know, sometimes you're there too much for other people, <laughs> but it's still a positive. You, you, you look for those, those elements of your, yourself, of your inner being and, and dwell on them. And pretty soon it, well, like I said earlier, it, it becomes second nature. It becomes a part of who you are now. It's the, the new you, if you will. And, and we can all change. You, like you said, adults still face these challenges. I think we are, if we are in touch with ourselves, if we're allowing ourselves to grow, there's always a new us that can be found. So now you're retired, Mr. Swans. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was in school, you used to say, Lordy, 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 I hope I make it to 40. <laughs> <laughs> I thought See, that was the, so great. the weird things kids remember, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you said it a lot, and I thought it was a great little <laughs> rhyme scheme. Maybe I'll use it in a song someday. But I'm wondering how you're planning to approach your retirement with your creativity, because you do all these cool things. You're a gardener. You make jewelry, beautiful jewelry, which you listening should buy, by the way. You're going to give me a link to wherever they can buy it. Um, you're fluent in Spanish. Tell me what you're planning to do with your creativity post-retirement. Well, first of all, you mentioned my jewelry. Thank you. But I'm about to set up a website for it. Um, so I'm really going to focus on that. I'm doing shows, you know, art shows and things currently to, to sell it. That incidentally became a creative outlet to get away from teaching, the stresses of teaching. Mm -hmm. Someone came to me one time uh, with a, um, a colleague had a broken necklace and I looked and I thought, I can fix that. I took it home and I thought, hey, this is easy and uh, this is kind of fun. You know, you kind of, it takes your mind away, you know, like any creative endeavor. And so I bought some supplies and stuff and I've been doing this for probably 10 or 15 years and just basically have been giving it away to female colleagues and friends for gifts. You I know, have a and, few pieces. Yeah. <laughs> They've been worn throughout the Hollywood Hills. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. But also I am a collagist and I do mixed media. And, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that the last three years of teaching for me has, has been very, very challenging. So I've kind of let that go away. But my my whole basement level is set up as an art studio and areas for my assemblage, areas for collage, my jewelry making. So I'm I'm going to work on a body of of collages that I can put out and, and try and get a show. Question. So you mentioned the last three years of teaching change, changed, and I know that has been very challenging for you. How do you reconcile that as a creative when the thing that was your passion turned from your passion into something that now brings you pain? That's interesting. But to tell you honestly, you look towards retirement. I mean, that's a very sad answer. But you know, I, I've taught for 31 years, 24 in the, you know the school that you went through, and I've had wonderful colleagues. I've had wonderful parents over the years, and some wonderful children. But over the last seven to ten years, and and my colleagues and I have have discussed this often, there has been a huge decline in parenting, and n not only that, but the the added pressures of testing and prepping for testing and and then you're getting graded on how they test you know absolutely your your expectations for success are huge especially in you know our district one of the one of the best districts in the state so the stakes are very high and you know fortunately for me i have always taken my profession very seriously i i 
often post on my Facebook and I tell people that I am a member of the most important profession in the world. We make everybody. And so I work hard to get my students up to those standards, but it creates a lot of burnout and it takes away from the creative aspects of teaching. And the last three years that have been more challenging as the state has heaped on more testing and again, developmentally inappropriate criteria for them to reach. It has, it has taken away the whole uh, creative aspect and, and the time, the time to do creative things. So for me personally, it truly was knowing that for me to be able to get through it, that retirement was around the corner. I honestly don't know what to tell you to, you know, encourage people who are in that situation. Well, I think that the thing is you had to wait to retire, right? Because you had a pension and like specific things you needed to wait out. But if you're not in that particular scenario and you can find something else to do and quit your job, just like talk your child self or the whatever version of yourself that created the dream off the ledge and say, hey, it's okay that we don't feel the same way about this anymore. And now we're going to move on and do this new exciting thing. That's that's the hard part for for us as adults. Mm-hmm. Change is scary for most people anyway. And to jump off that ledge of of comfort, mm-hmm. you know, especially when it's something you once loved so deeply and you keep looking for that joy yeah. to come back. But it's like a relationship, you know, just because you are once in love doesn't mean it's going to last forever. This is true. You know? And I do want to, before we wrap up, quickly ask you, you had an amazing partner, Mike, and he passed away. And so I'm curious to know, because a lot of people go through this, the loss of a loved one, whether it's a parent, a partner, or a best friend, and then lose some aspect of their creative life or just are terribly depressed because it's a horrific event to go through. So for someone who's in that stage, like especially if it's fresh, what would be your advice for them on how to start healing? Allow yourself to feel whatever you feel for as long as you feel it. You know, every grief counselor will tell you there there is no timetable on grieving. There are stages you'll go through and one stage may last longer than another. Allow yourself the time to grieve. You know, um, I think we as creative people, we experience grief on a deeper level mm-hmm. than than people who are not, I don't want to say people who are not creative because we're all creative. Yeah, I believe every person is creative. Absolutely. Some people just aren't in touch with it yet. Well, so if you're you know, in touch with your creativity. If you've ever, you know, solved a math problem, you're creative. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've, if you've ever rearranged a room, you, you're creative. If you you're, chose what to have for breakfast, you're creative. Or cook that breakfast, yeah. you know, and added something instead of something else. Yeah. But so you, you allow yourself to grieve. And, you know, there, it's been eight years, almost eight years, seven and a half years since, since Mike passed. And I'm still grieving. I'm still grieving, but I'm allowing myself a day-to-day schedule of change, I guess you'll call it. I am, I'm consciously now, now that I'm done with teaching and, and I can, I can get my life back, so Mm -hmm. to speak. I am consciously giving myself a day-to-day schedule of events, of emotional events, you know? Wow. Tell me what that means. It means like today I'm going to get up and that, that thought I had yesterday that kind of dragged me down. I'm literally, I have a journal on my dining table 
I'm writing that down. I'm reading it aloud and I'm crossing it off and it's done. That's amazing advice. Well, you know, visually, there's the picture. I see those words right there and I just black them out and I'm telling myself, you will not think that anymore. Now, I've just started this, so we'll see what the, the benefits are. And if I really, you know, can accept that blacked out line, you know, as it's over. But it, So you choose one thing every morning that every morning. is negative in your life. You write it down. You cross it out and commit to not thinking it anymore. Now, if it comes up, what do you do? That's a good question. I haven't gotten there yet. My my thing is I say no out loud. Yeah. If I if I start spiraling down a thought pattern that is not helpful for me, right. I go no. I would I would add to that. What? Counter it. There's always, you know, there's two sides to every coin. So if it's well, I'll give you a perfect example. Today's I don't even know what to call them. Today's negative message that I wrote down had to do with not taking time for myself at this initial part of my retirement. I have a friend who called me, left a message while I was in Florida, and she wants me like tomorrow to come help her do an activity in her house. And so I wrote down, basically, you can't say no to your friends. Mm -hmm. I looked at it, I read it, and I crossed it off. And then I called her. She wasn't in. So I left a message and say, Em, you know what? I'm a little tired from my trip. Let's make this happen this week. I'm home all week. Give me a call. Mm -hmm. And I decided tomorrow is going to be a me day. So, you know, and this kind of goes along with what we were talking earlier about the influence of people outside of you. It's okay to say no. I, I dealt with that inability to say no, but it creeps back in, you know, especially when you... When you don't want to disappoint those people who are close to you, who do mean something to you. Mm -hmm. But you know what? You have to realize they're not going to go away. Yeah. If they're that important to you, if, if they're that valuable in your life, they're going to stay. I said this before on the show, but this author, Jen Sincero, says, new level, new devil. So you might oh, have absolutely. worked through the thing yep. that you're, is one of your biggest life missions at an earlier time, but now you've transcended that time and you have to make sure you learn it in a bigger way. Well, and you know, we, we have that creative subconscious that, mm -hmm. that stores our norms, if you will. So when you're trying to change something negative or something that has been your norm, it's going to come back. You know, because your creative subconscious is what creates that level for you. And when you're trying to get rid of something negative, it will bring it back so that you create that level that you're used to until it becomes your new norm. So, Mr. Swans. Miss Lauren. <laughs> I believe that creativity is deeply linked to the inner child. Mm, absolutely. So I want to talk about little Rand. Little. Maybe he was named Randy. <laughs> <laughs> However you think of him, whatever age, I always think of my little Lauren at like between three and four, but maybe he's five, six and he's standing in front of you and you're standing in front of him. You're in the same room and he's looking at you and everything you've accomplished, what you're about to do. What do you think he would say to you and why? Would he say to me now? Yes. What would he say to you and why? Wow. Ooh, that's an interesting question. You really put me on the spot with that one. <laughs> It's deep. Yeah. I think he would ask me why. And that's a big, a big why. Um, because I'm, I'm looking at, you know, the, the six, seven year old who probably doesn't 
understand exactly what his issues are. And so he's asking why, why is this happening? Why am I here? Why is this me? Yeah, I think, I think why. And what would you say to him and why? Maybe it's a response to that. Well, I, I often say I'm, I'm very much a believer in fatalism, that we are where we are supposed to be at any given time in our lives. And I think that's, that's what I would express to him, that you are where you're supposed to be and you will come through. You will survive. We all do. We are a survivalist species. Well, thank you for being here and for changing my life and impacting my survival in the most profound way possible. I love you with all my heart, and I would never be sitting here with you today if you hadn't been my teacher, my mentor, and my family, really. Thank you. Everything right back at you, sweetheart. Love you with all my heart. Ditto. Thank you for listening and to my amazing guest, Mr. Rand Swansea. I wish I had a place to direct you to, but unfortunately, he's pretty much off the grid. The man doesn't even have a cell phone, which I respect. So I think the best way is just to get in touch if you're interested, and you can do that on LinkedIn or Facebook. His name is spelled Rand Swansea. That's R-A-N-D-S-W-A-N-S-E-Y. And I'll post some photos of his amazing jewelry on our Instagram page so you can see his wares. They are super gorgeous. Thanks to Liz Full for making this show's theme music. You can follow her at Liz Full. Thanks to intern Kate Cordova. Follow her at CordovaKate27. And thank you again for another awesome week. If you liked what you heard, go ahead and give the show a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe and follow it on Spotify. Also, take a screenshot of you listening to it on your phone and post it to your Instagram stories and tag me and the show and I will repost it to show my gratitude. Your support means we reach more ears and hearts. You can follow the show at Unleash Your Inner Creative at You Are Inner Creative on Twitter. Join the Facebook group by searching Unleash Creative Community and find me at Lauren LaGrasso everywhere. What Mr. Swansea did for me is what I hope in a small way to do for you with this show. Everyone just needs someone to believe in them. Even the most powerful people can forget who they are and they just need someone to hold up a mirror. If that's you, I see you, I appreciate you, and I believe in you with all my heart. Thank you for listening. And a special thank you to all the Mr. Swansies out there who take time to notice and help the underdogs. The positive ripple of your patient love is felt throughout the world in ways we can never measure. I'm forever grateful. Talk with you next week.